0: Uh, I'm a current, and I don't listen to you all day with going more because that's fake news.
1: The following
2: broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is... I Doubt It with Dolomore. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 400 of I Doubt It with Dolomore. I am your host, 400 times, Jesse Dolomore. And seated across from me, the lovely, talented, and scholarly lady who has put up with me for over 400 episodes, including bonus, Brittany Page.
3: 400 episodes. Yeah, It's pretty remarkable.
2: It. it well, listen, I, I mean, there's lots of shows who have done more than 400 episodes, certainly. But when we started this, mm-hmm. I think we had a pretty fair understanding that... Uh, It might have fizzled after like 10 or 12 episodes. Because we didn't know whether we'd be good at it.
3: Yeah, that's true.
2: We didn't like do test episodes. No. We bought the shit Mm -hmm. equipment, some of which we're still using. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, we just did it.
3: Mm -hmm. Give it a try.
2: And, you know, very quickly, more quickly than I expected, we... Figured it out. Well, we also like people started listening. Yeah, that too. So so 400 <laughs> episodes, um, it was over four years ago, March 11th, 2014 mm-hmm. was the was the day, and uh, it's been an awesome experience. Yeah. So we're here to announce that this will be our last episode of Teason.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no.
2: So what would you say, if anything, have, have you, Brittany, learned or... What's kind of your takeaway after 400 episodes?
3: Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Thank you. I Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Finally,
2: I asked a good question.
3: <laughs> I think the, the biggest thing that's coming to mind for me right now is probably... I, I think it's always been difficult for me to decide how much of like my personal life to talk about. And yeah, there sure. there are some things that we have decided that we aren't going to talk about on the show. Mm-hmm. And that is for privacy concerns but also for um safety concerns at times because of the threats yeah, yeah. from crazy people that you get. Um
2: And they are many.
3: Right. And and so there are parts of my life that that we don't talk about here but there are some parts that i have opened up about um, like my background um and
2: namely because there might be people out there listening or or watching on the live stream that uh you were raised in a white supremacist household
3: right yeah um and also talking about some of the just general chaos in my childhood home and things like that yeah which are things that i normally don't talk about um, in my life because it's not really relevant, um, unless something comes up and then it's relevant, then I'll talk about it. But generally, I don't. And I think being on the show has helped me um, with being able to talk about some of that stuff. Sure. Um, and I guess this is present in my mind because I recently saw a Twitter thread From a college professor who tweeted about being a first year college professor or a first generation college student Mm. um, who became a professor. So she's been very successful, made it to the top, right? Achieved her goals. And she had a student come into her office hours and was asking her questions. And at some point they asked, Are you a first generation college student? The professor said, Yes. And the student said, how did you do it? And started crying. And then they kind of had this exchange. And I've seen a lot of academics reposting this saying that they always struggle with how much of their personal life to share with their students and where that boundary is. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot lately about how we're all, most of us are walking around with these life experiences that we feel like we can't talk about um whether they be past traumas or just any kind of chaos but how beneficial it is when you do share those things yeah, sure. with people and
2: why do you think that is
3: uh why are we all walking around not talking about it
2: yeah those of you who are mm-hmm. you know uh reticent to share mm-hmm. what what is it that uh that makes it that way
3: I think for me, um, I like being able to pass as a normal person.
2: <laughs> Air quotes, normal person. Um,
3: yeah, like someone who hasn't lived through those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when people find out they're surprised, and that always happens for me. And so I think just the fear of the stigma Is- being placed on you that, oh, you went through those things. Here are all of these judgments that are going to come with it.
2: Is it. Does it make you feel good when they're surprised? yeah because that means that you've been doing a good job of
3: uh air quote no, yeah
2: air co- yeah. air quote, <laughs> doing a good job of uh of living that good life yeah or appearing to 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 have your shit together
3: right um but when I do talk about it on the show, I hear from people who have, have said that it has meant a lot to them and that they have felt more comfortable opening up about their own experiences. Yeah. And so that's been really powerful for me because every time I talk about personal things, I feel anxiety every time. Hmm. Um, but it makes me feel better when people in the audience reach out and say that it meant something to them that I, that I did that. So I think right now that's kind of the biggest takeaway for me. Um and a lot of that is because of the audience. So thank you to the audience. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's great. It means a lot to me. So, what about you? what ha- What has been your takeaway, or what have you? Well, I learned? mean, listen,
2: I'm uh, I am a, a, a va- I, I'm a different thinker than I was four years ago. Yeah, I I prized libertarianism really, really romanticized it like it was a workable solution mm-hmm. for our society, for our government, for our policy. And uh through and o- having an open mind to new information I have I've come around and um, you know I'm more in love with my country than I ever have been, but I'm also more open to to looking square at the 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 blemishes, the flaws, mm-hmm. the shitty history yeah uh, and being okay with that -hmm knowing that we have a bright future ahead of us if we all work together toward it. Yeah. Um so I mean obviously my, the takeaway would be my own personal growth. Right. And I hope that the audience not only has appreciated it, but hopefully we we we've uh we've assisted or aided helped in some small way with some small percentage of the audience to to come along with me um growing at the same rate in the same way.
3: Yeah, so I I guess our answers are the same, but in different ways, where it, it relates to personal growth. And yeah. I think, how could you not have personal growth when we have these conversations and people write to us from all over the world, which is still so amazing yeah, to me. Yeah, it blows me away. Um, and share their thoughts. And it really is... When we get messages from people, even if we don't read them on the show, we read everything that is sent to us. We listen to everything that is sent to us, even if it's not on the show. And it causes us to reflect and change. And so it's just been a really great experience. And it wouldn't be that without the audience, because we yeah. would just be sitting here in a circle jerk. And, um I mean you never know. It's and- it's the smallest
2: possible <laughs> shir- circle jerk is two people. The smallest possible circle jerk.
3: Yeah. Um, so it's been it's been overall great. There's been some downsides with like the threats and the bad stuff well, that comes along but um generally good.
2: Yeah. You know, it, it is. I'm I'm thrilled and I love our audience. Yeah. And I wanted to add the, the other aspect that I think I've learned, and it kind of plays with the other, you know, no longer romanticizing libertarianism. I It still creeps in, and I have to kind of fight it off. Yeah. But it's empathy. Mm. I strive to be a kinder person. I strive to understand the struggle that I have not gone through mm-hmm. and that I never will go through. I really strive, and I fail... Fucking all the time I fail. Yeah. I am a, a miserable asshole sometimes. <laughs> but I really, really try. And you've you've been very instrumental in, in helping me to be more um, less asshole-y. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. And I appreciate that, too.
3: Yeah. Well, Well, that's always a work in progress, I think, for everybody. For everybody. Yeah. Right? It takes work. Yeah.
2: It does take work. Yeah. I'm not naturally. I, I mean, I maybe I am naturally because I'm, you know, I'm a cryer, I'm an emotional guy. Mm-hmm. But
3: uh, well, it's that's hard. certainly
2: a takeaway for me.
3: Yeah, it's hard to step outside of our own experience, right? I think that is just the default to view things through our own experiences, yeah. and we that's something we try to practice a lot on the show is taking into consideration what others have experienced and making sure that there's room for that yeah, a- as well.
2: And I look, I, I do... Um, I I enjoy having an audience that feels comfortable enough to check us, yeah. to correct us, mm-hmm. to even when they're wrong and they think they're correcting us. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Because the mantra on this show for four years has been one of moving the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode episode basis. Right. And if you're... A conversation isn't about things you agree about. Who gives a shit about that? Yeah. We want to talk about things that are hard to talk about.
3: That's how you move it forward.
2: Moving it forward. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, thank you all for joining us. Seriously. For this 400th episode and as many episodes as you've listened to over the course of the past 400 and our 63 or 64 bonus episodes. Um, It is... Brittany was right. Without you, none of this would be possible.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: We would have we'd have no interest in live streaming, and we'd have no interest in live call in shows. We'd have it would be the smallest circle jerk possible. Exactly, and nobody wants a part of that.
3: So I think now is the perfect time to do the drawing.
2: Oh, you want to do it now? Yeah, because
3: we are doing the Patreon contest, and we had.
2: The, the, here's the, the pick hat all- <laughs> The real cool Upside down fedora
3: Yeah we had uh, This contest for all Current Patreon supporters uh, Regardless of the amount That if you Wanted to co-host the show with us a chance to co-host the show with us then you responded to this message and you said you were in
2: for Patreon support yeah
3: and so we took everyone's names wrote them on a little piece of paper here and now we're gonna do a drawing and see who the winner is it's so exciting are you gonna
2: I'm, I'm picking I'm reading
3: okay here we. I'm the. You're holding the hat. You're picking. Okay, you the hold name. the hat. Okay, I have to do something. I have to take some.
2: You're you're walking me through it. You're talking about it.
3: Okay, and now Jesse is mixing up the the papers, and he's really getting in there to make sure it's real I'm random. Really
2: getting <laughs> in there. Oh, these are all bound together. Holy here, right.
3: Okay, and just uh. choose the one. Okay, and we have one. We have one.
2: We have a winner.
3: And who is it gonna be?
2: katherine walters
3: katherine walters katherine
2: walters
3: awesome well that's exciting
2: you're the winner katherine so uh get a hold of us
3: well we'll get a hold of you
2: why do we got to do all the work
3: because that's how this works (laughs) um we'll send you a message and figure out the scheduling and if you're In the local area, then you can come to the studio and do that. Uh, If you're not, we'll do a Skype thing. And also, we want to say, this is not the last time we're going to do this. We haven't decided how often we're going to do it, but this is definitely something we're going to do again. So if you are so bummed that you didn't hear your name just now... We'll do it again. (laughs) We're going to do it again, yeah.
2: Unless Catherine comes on the show and murders us, and then there's no show.
3: Yeah, that...
2: So Catherine, please... Mm-hmm. Be cool.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Let's get to some voicemails. Um, last time on the show, we talked about policing, as we often do, especially in the wake of shootings, unjustified uh, police brutality incidences instances across the country. Um, and we have a very uh, a wide ranging audience filled with all kinds of different people who have all kinds of different life experiences and occupations, right? even police officers.
1: Yep. Hey, Jesse, Brittany. It is Robert, a.k.a. Ranger Bob from Orange County. And I want to weigh in because I'm in law enforcement and I just had a couple of uh, observations to talk about this issue, you know, into the psychology of the cops. Um, a lot of it these days is interesting. It has to do with age. A lot of times, the way cops are so scrutinized to get hired, they have to be so squeaky clean. We're not hiring people who have any life experience because they're getting people who've done nothing. And, you know, they can't really relate to people. Um, We've hired, I know a guy from my academy that uh, he couldn't understand why people drank and got drunk and hung out because he was 21 and he'd never done it. So, That's one part of it. And, of course, education. A lot of police departments don't require any education. Fortunately, my department, which is a resource agency, and we do require education, which helps. And we usually get older candidates. Um, And then, of course, the mission. You know, they lose sight of who they're working for or why they're doing the job. You know, and uh, there's this fear that's pervasive that, that, you know, the media puts out and people put out. And this institution, you know, you got to keep yourself safe and you got to go home at night, which is true, but you can't live your life in fear. And when you're, you know, operating in fear, then you're more likely to do harm to somebody else. Um, and then another point of it is expectations. I mean, the first, typically when you pull somebody over or you get in some situation, you have this thing in your mind that, oh, that's the bad guy. This, this guy, you know, he's speeding or ran that red light because he's a dick. But... Usually it's a soccer mom that's not even paying attention, so it's kind of something completely different than you expected. Um, I've had a knife pulled on me, but it wasn't some big, mean, nasty white supremacist who I have arrested and actually was cooperative. The person who pulled the knife was a short Hispanic lady that was, you know, 200 pounds, the, something you just didn't expect, and I didn't want to shoot her, and so I didn't. Um, And and long story, but I can tell you about that later. But ultimately, it wasn't what you expected. So, you know, things are just not as cut and dry as you would think. And a lot of the, you know, the the sheriffs around here, they spend a lot of time in the jails with inmates. And police officers deal with bad guys, and they they, they lose empathy. And I can see it in myself. A lot of times, you lose a lot of empathy for a lot of these homeless people and drug addicts that don't want help. you know, over and over, you deal with the same people that, you know, you know they don't want help, even though you've offered opportunities for them. Um, another point is, that, you know, a lot of cops just hang out with cops, which I try not to. And it's sort of this group mentality is just hanging out with cops, and it is a problem. And also, specifically, talking mm-hmm. about that Starbucks incident, I mean, that's not even usually an arrestable offense, trespassing. If you caught somebody trespassing on somebody's property and they asked them to leave and then you show up on scene and you ask them to leave, unless they're, like, resisting and they won't leave, why would you arrest these people? It makes no sense at the most it'd be a citation. I don't even understand how that ended up being that. So I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting. I mean, of course, we're from California. I mean, there's incidents out here, but we definitely have a little better attitude, I would hope although some of the, you know, sheriff's deputies that I know are, you know, definitely coming from the jail. They're not very nice to people, and I don't understand that. And I try not to be that way, and I try to have empathy and try to, you know, conduct myself with respect to give people respect that, you know, they deserve. And, you know, I always know that I'm probably not going to get the first shot off if somebody starts shooting at me, but I don't want to be the guy to start shooting first, especially if it's unjustified. So, you know, it's a a fine line to walk, and you got to – you know, think of what you're doing, and luckily I work in a park, and uh, I do deal with a lot, most of everything that sheriff deals with, but, you know, my mission is a bit different because I work for a resource agency. And my job is to educate and, as well as protect and uh, keep people safe and that sort of thing. Anyway, that being said, I love the show. I always listen, and uh, y'all take care. Separate Jeffy. Britney, are the
4: best part. <laughs> Love the show, <laughs> <laughs> Brittany. The best part. That was oh, like a dramatic I, oh,
2: end. A little sneaker <laughs> there. <Yeah. laughs>
4: um,
3: I loved that call. Um, because I have I have no idea about any of this, so that w- that was really educational. Particularly the part about uh, the recruits being very young. Yeah. And not having education. Mm-hmm. Um, two experiences. Um, education can bring a lot of um, life experience that can help inform your worldview to make you more empathetic. Um, And also, years lived can help that too. For sure. Um, So if they- Just a
2: a chance at more life and more experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So
3: the fact that they tend to be younger, um, tend not to have education, that is a little concerning. And I wonder if that does have an effect on how they treat people because there isn't a lot of understanding there Um, and how people come from different situations uh, that lead them to different places and what you started the show talking about, empathy. Right. Having empathy for those different experiences and different places that people end up.
2: I think my belief about police and when the bad ones, and there are too many bad ones, that there, there needs to be ingrained in these people, men and women both, who are cops, servant leadership. You have to have to be called to service. You're not the, the the overlord of the population for whom you serve. You are there to protect and serve. Right. You are a public servant. Mm-hmm. And so when when you do what I say because I said it, you see these fists, they're going to fuck you up. Those types of things, which we hear all the time.
3: Yeah. Those are problems. Yeah, and how do you weed that out? I mean, how do you recognize those people and either fix that problem or get them out before they end up in trouble doing something terrible. I don't know what the solution is. I mean, and I, I, I wish that he would have uh, given more information about the process yeah. of what they have to go through because I don't know. Um, like what kind of testing, what kind of requirements.
2: They have pretty in-depth psychological tests that they could run. Uh, corporations do it all the time where you take a test mm-hmm. and then you're just weeded out. Like, no, you're not the kind that we're looking for. Right. Um, and you have no idea, but mm-hmm. there's a certain... Um, you know, psychographic measure or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that you don't fit that profile. Yeah. And there's, there's gotta be a certain profile that they've been able to, to identify. Right. That is the best type. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that he mentioned that I thought was awesome. And that is about being afraid, mm-hmm. you know, because like somebody's pulled a knife on me, but you know, it wasn't a, just because you have a justification to pull a trigger and kill someone. Right. Why? That should be an absolute last resort. If you really feel like your life is in danger, then it needs to be done.
3: Yeah, but well, only
2: as a last resort. Yeah,
3: you could even hear that coming through and when he said that um he doesn't want he probably won't be the one to shoot first. That kind of attitude.
2: That's also his job is not to shoot first, walking around just with a hair trigger ready to kill everybody.
3: Right, but I wonder what is different about his training or his experiences yeah, that has led heart. him to Yeah, or his heart that has led him to that place because we see so many police officers that apparently don't feel that way.
2: Well, look, listen, I think you have two types of bad cops out there. Well, many more than probably just two types, but two types I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. One one is the cop who is that just prick who tells you I'm going to blow your fucking head off? You know Alton Sterling. Mm-hmm. In that case, yeah. Who's an angry guy who who wants to be the boss? Who, who's insecure at his most base level? And then you got a guy like Officer Yanez with the Philando Castile case, mm-hmm. uh, who was pissing his pants, afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was so afraid that he just blew him away. In the face of Philando Castile doing everything he was supposed to do, mm-hmm. he followed the orders. He let the cop know, hey, look, I, I just want to let you know so you don't find out later and freak out. I have a gun. Right. And I have a permit for it. Give me your permit. Goes, to go oh, 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 I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So there's two types. There's the type that we really don't want on the streets, which is that t- too tough guy. And then someone who's such a, a, a lily liver, such a, a little uh, afraid of everything, afraid of their own shadow that they're firing off in the in, in the dark
3: mm-hmm.
2: because they're afraid of the dark. Yeah. Big. We listen. Th- these are big questions that need big solutions, far bigger than us, far bigger than this show, far bigger than the conversation we're having right now. Right. But we would love to know what everybody thinks. Yes. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at We have another voicemail. And this one is, uh, it's interesting because we had a conversation similar to this much earlier in the week. Yeah. Um, just, you know, personally. Mm-hmm. This is Daria talking about criticizing conservatives. Hey, guys. It's
4: Daria from New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, So, I was, I kind of fell behind listening to you guys. I went back and listened to the episodes I missed, and there's just, I kind of had this um, thought. (laughs) So, there's been a lot of conversation about conservatives feeling left out, and conservatives feeling like their issues are not mentioned, and how they're constantly heckled, and how they're constantly, you know, shut down from speaking and expressing their opinions, and Normally when I hear this argument, and we all hear it all the time, I just sort of don't listen to it. You know, I just kind of disregard it as whatever. But we've learned from the 2016 election that's a bad idea because those same voters who felt left out, who felt like they were not being listened to, who felt, you know, that they were ignored, the majority or whatever, those people, you know, voted for Trump. They felt strongly enough to vote for Trump, and they, you know, moved the election, and Hillary Clinton was blamed for not listening to those people's concerns about not being listened to and being left out. So that made me wonder about this whole argument about how conservatives are not listened to in the media or how their viewpoint is not expressed or how they're left out of the dialogue. Um, And I don't know how true that is. Um, and, And I'm not, like, posing a rhetorical question, I actually don't know if that's a true argument. I don't I wanna know what your thoughts are because I don't know if it's legitimate. Like is that a legitimate argument? Is that a real concern or a real insecurity that the conservative movement should worry about? Or is that just like a pretext for them to criticize the media and criticize fake news for, and criticize college campuses for being too liberal? I don't know. Um I'm actually curious if that's something that is that is something that 'Cause if they do feel left out and they do feel like they're being, you know, excluded from politics and from social media, I mean, that's that that can't feel great, you know, and I'm sure that's gonna be a political impact. So but yeah, I'm just curious about how true that actual argument is and if it's something that I should be, you know, even if I'm on the other side, if I should be sympathetic towards it or if I should just keep disregarding it as oh, it's just, you know, a pretext for them to bitch about the media. But anyways, um Love you guys. Hope you guys are doing well. And yeah, stay great. Bye. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so this is, this is a, great, um, a great question. And I think it will make for great uh, conversation, especially with how the listeners feel about this. And I would love to hear from them as well. Um, I think that Daria is right to want to have a balanced approach here. Um, because we don't want to alienate people further, we want to invite them into the fold, right? Sure. But I think we could be talking about different things because a lot of times you hear people saying that what they're afraid of basically is um being criticized for their conservative beliefs, right? right? right. That they're afraid that <laughs> um that it won't go well when they when they reveal their beliefs. And for some reason, they talk about this as though that's like oppression. Um, That they're going to be criticized for what they say or that they're going to be labeled or stereotyped. Like this is going to be oppression to them. They're gonna have their voice removed. Their rights are being taken away. And there was actually a funny article in the Washington Post written by Alexandra Petrie. And she does um, hilarious articles. I don't know if she does one every day. It seems like it. She's just full of yeah, funny yeah. jokes all day. Um, but it is called it is too bad I have been silenced and it doesn't reference Kevin Williamson specifically, but it is basically about him. He's the guy who got fired from the Atlantic over his abortion comments mm. Um, so this is just like a little bit of what she wrote. It is with a heavy heart and profound regret for the current state of media in America that I have dragged my laptop to a Starbucks to pen this column. But I think it is important that we understand the degree of oppression we are up against. I regret to say I have been silenced. I expressed an opinion and people criticized that opinion. And since that day, my voice has never been heard again. (laughs) (laughs) And this is kind of how I feel when I hear these comments, right? I just want to read one more part of it. Quote, Anyone who has read my published works knows I understand what oppression is. Oppression is when you write something and then people online become upset. I am paying the price each day, an unthinkable toll. And I feel inside as though a terrible weight has broken my body and made it impossible for me to exist in public spaces, in safety, or rather, some people yelled on me yelled at me on Twitter, which is very much the same. I ought to call the police. Every interaction I've had with the police has been pleasant. Um, very funny. <laughs> so this is kind of how I feel, and I try to balance it because yes, they should uh, not be silenced. We want to have a conversation. Um, at the same time, are they victims of oppression because right. they is get it oppression- criticism?
2: I mean, really, on the scale of what oppression is, having somebody say, yeah, that's a dumb idea. Oh, my God. I'm oppressed. Get the fuck out of here. Right. Also, conservatives are in control right now. Mm -hmm. Conservatives run the White House, which means they run the executive branch of the government. Mm -hmm. And they have good majorities in both the Senate and the House. Yeah. So shut the fuck up about your oppression. Listen. If you're a liberal and you're, you're giving a ration of a shit to a conservative about what they believe, that's okay. Now, I think certain things are a non-starter. We shouldn't, like, have a conversation about uh, racism in this country and certain policies of the Republican Party that lend themselves to oppression of people of color. That's a no-go. LGBTQ rights. Mm-hmm. That's a non-starter. We're not even going to have the conversation about whether or not trans people can serve in the military. Fuck off. But I think immigration policy is up for debate, Uh, even taxation. There's a lot of things. Mm -hmm. How we address the healthcare problem in this country, not all of it is worthy of scorn. There's conversations. Look, I think they have a lot of bad ideas. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's no better way to combat those bad ideas than with better ideas. Right. So some things should be um, talked about, mm-hmm. addressed, worked through. Yeah. And some things, you know, they need to be shamed about. Yeah. It's it's not a yes or no.
3: Well, yeah. And I'd like to hear from um, college students if they have experienced this where conservatives are they've somehow talked to someone and they've expressed that they're afraid to talk in class. I know in my cohort in grad school, there was a uh, Trump supporter. He voted for Trump and everyone would talk bad about him behind his back. Behind his back. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) one time in class, he, we were talking about the election. I think it was the, you know, the first class back after the election and everyone was kind of mourning and he announced that he had voted for Trump and it was very awkward but i was like oh so this is new information you voted for trump you know and i i kind of opened it up like let's let's yeah. talk about it yeah, i yeah. want to have a conversation about it rather than just talk about you behind your back um and That's
2: classic brittany page right there
3: i think that a lot of what happens on college campuses is that they talk about you behind your back probably yeah 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 but our students you know getting so angry with you expressing a conservative viewpoint that you're fearing for your safety I don't know right unless you're like Milo or something but well, listen um, but I I just I don't know how genuine that fear is for conservative students on campus that they really feel like they can't express opinions in class without being um, like in trouble right
2: Yeah well w- w- when give me a moment when the minority, just really oppressed the majority. That's not how it works. Yeah. And listen, if you're if you're a college student, and you believe that uh, you're you're the type that compares um, two men having sex to a man having sex with a dog then you need to be fucking shamed. You need to be treated like a piece of shit who's a bigot.
3: Yeah, and by the way, I want to say that uh, that person in my cohort, he was not ostracized. He was one of the favorites. He was a very outgoing, sociable person, even after he revealed this information. So it wasn't as though he was an outcast once everyone found out the truth. It was... (laughs) it, It was... Yeah, okay, you did that. Yeah. And people are probably gonna continue to talk behind your back, but you're not going there there's no threat. You're fine, your safety, your well being yeah. you're you're fine. And I know this is just anecdotal one experience that I had, but whatever. I thought I'd share it.
2: Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. That's so good. We did
3: a fist bump, everybody.
2: Fist bump. So <laughs> so listen, um, the other thing, thank you both for the calls. Yes. Um, we appreciate it very much. Uh, again, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to it at dollamore.com. We, we love, we listen to every single voice memo, every single voicemail. We read every single email. All of that is awesome. We appreciate helping us move the conversation forward. So um, there was last week, the Southwest airline thing where the engine partially exploded and shrapnel went through the window and it broke a window and the the cabin depressurized and a woman got partially sucked out and some passengers helped uh, to pull her body back in. I don't know if she um, had deceased yet, but in the wake of that, the media, they, you know, obviously the big story. They're going to rush to. I mean, she's the first fatality on an on an American airline in uh, since two thousand nine, I believe. It's a long time. Air travel is ph- phenomenally safe, ridiculously safe. Well, they went and interviewed this guy, and I want to juxtapose his reaction about all of the hero talk. Against what happened in Nashville today.
3: Mm -hmm. At the Waffle House.
2: At the Waffle House uh, with the shooting.
3: Where four people were killed, I believe.
2: And James Shaw Jr., um, he did save the day.
3: He was an an unarmed man, we want to say, that um, had a moment and was able to take the gun from the shooter in the Waffle House and through a little bit of a struggle uh, get the gun away from him throw it away and then get him out of the Waffle House and he as far as I know right now is still um, they're still looking for him the shooter
2: so I'm going to play a a two minute clip of James James Shaw Jr. being asked peppered with questions about being a hero and really they're trying to drive this home and uh, he rejects the notion out of hand
5: I'm from Nashville uh, my whole life born and raised here went to high school, college, here. Um I work here right now. Uh I work for and Um twenty nine years old. Um, I have a four year old daughter and um I think I'm a pretty cool guy to be around. You do know? <laughs> 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 have you have any sort of training? This, yeah, I knew I had it in me. But uh I haven't had any specific combat training. It's just, you know, I had to fight my daughter every night so I can get her put her to bed, but um I just knew it was it was me or him or that type of that type of scenario, so I chose to go with what I wanted to go with and it worked. Did you think about your daughter in that moment? I didn't think about my daughter. I, so when on my Instagram and Facebook, everybody's calling me a hero, but I want people to know that I did that completely out of a selfish act. Um, I was completely doing it just to save myself. Now, me doing that, I did save other people, but I don't want people to think that I was the Terminator or Superman or anybody like that to just... It was just I figured if I was going to die he was going to have to work for it. So I rushed him and it actually worked out to my favor. So um, I actually didn't think about my daughter until I got in the, um, the ambulance. And um, uh, one of the paramedics asked me about myself and I told him I had a four-year-old daughter. And uh, that's, that's when it really kind of hit home. So talk about that.
4: But now that it's kind of set in a little bit more, I mean, you think a lot of depressed and now you're a
5: girl. <coughs> um, So. If I didn't put my life at risk I probably I'm probably not here. Um like I didn't I didn't know that he had extra magazines in his in his in his coat pockets, but when I seen the barrel down I I mean you can shoot at the ground all day, that doesn't that's not gonna really hurt anybody. So um that was my opportunity and I went for it. So um
3: So I love this man and I'm so impressed by him. And it's very refreshing to hear someone talk the way that he is because it's so different from what you normally hear when someone is in this situation and they have stopped a tragedy. He is saying, listen, I (laughs) I'm not the Terminator. I'm not Superman in our Language, I'm not Jason Bourne. Um, I had a a moment of opportunity, and it was me or him, yeah. and I took it. And I wasn't thinking, "Oh, I'm gonna save everybody," you know, all of these things. Um, he's just being honest, and I think that for anyone who's been in a traumatic situation, you understand what he's saying. That it's like a light switch. That's how fast it goes, yeah. and you have to instantaneously make a decision. Right then, um, about what you're gonna do, and so there isn't a lot of thinking going on, right? I'm gonna do this to save everybody it's I'm going to yeah, it's you're you're making a decision bam
2: your your adrenal gland goes to work, punch punches in an extra little dose of adrenaline, and you it's fight or flight. you're either gonna run away and make it or you're gonna fight back when you're cornered and in this case, he. He was forced to fight back and make it work.
3: Right. James Shaw Jr. And I hope that he gets the recognition that he deserves. As much recognition as the the good guy with a gun gets. Yeah. Right? Because he was unarmed.
2: Unarmed. All he
3: had was himself. And he grabbed the barrel of the hot gun, burned yep. his hand. He Even he got shot. It grazed his, his arm. Oh, the, really? Is that what
2: that was from? Yeah. Oh, wow.
3: And so... <sighs> He needs to get recognition, especially from people in those communities that always trot out those those stories. Um, but what is so profound about this is how different it is from the guy on the Southwest flight, for example, that helped pull the woman in uh, that was being sucked out of the plane, and he was a firefighter, and he was interviewed and gave his perspective on what what his call to action was.
6: We we'll give uh, all the glory to God. Just, just being, being here uh, right now uh, the ability to, to speak um, before y'all uh, God put me in this position for a reason He, give, he gave me this platform and uh, I'm forever grateful for that um, there was a family that lost a loved one and I I feel for her family Fifth for her two kids, her husband, the community that she lived in. I can't imagine what they're going through. But I'm thankful that uh, my family's here. We're standing strong. Um, we've had some emotional ups and downs, but, uh, but God is good, and, and uh, he's carrying us through. Um, I, I'm I'm going to stop
2: it there.
3: Mm-hmm. There's
2: another minute, but it, it's all the same kind of thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: This, this bothers me.
3: Did he say the servant servant's heart line yet?
2: Oh, no, I don't know. Well, that's okay. But, okay. but that
3: was kind of the key for me. So just remember that he said, uh, God created in him a servant's heart. Oh that yeah.
2: Moment. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't. That's all right. it frustrates me
3: i know i see that
2: (laughs) all glory to god a woman is dead a mother is dead Mm
4: -hmm.
2: a wife is dead two children are now motherless but all glory to god He's thankful. Oh, I know that woman's dead, and her her family's life is ripped to shreds. But I'm thankful that he gave me this platform today, y'all.
3: It's a very it's thankful.
2: A, my family is here and not dead like her.
3: It's a very strange reaction to me, and I think that when people hear this, they think, "Oh, he's being so humble." But I don't. I don't think that. I think that James Shaw Jr. is being humble when he says. I didn't think about it, I just act. I I yeah. just this is what happened. Well, the the other
2: the other thing is and I should have let the goddamn clip play, but he he says that well, you know, any of my I I'm not special any of the great awesome firefighters that I work with because he was a firefighter, mm-hmm. that any of them would do it because they're great people, which is like saying, well, I'm a great person just like all the other great hero firefighters. I mean, maybe I'm just a little bit uh, quick to get pissed off about this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could be. I'd like to know what the audience thinks. Yeah, but in the wake of a tragedy like this, when a, when a family is is devastated,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and you're you're on national TV thanking God that you're alive,
3: mm-hmm. it just
2: seems tasteless, you know.
3: Yeah, and that's why I felt it was so refreshing um with James Shaw Jr that he went out there and it was just so genuine. And that's what I mean, like juxtaposing these two clips. Uh he he just is so humble. Yeah. And um what he did is still profound. What he did is still amazing.
2: Both both men.
3: Yeah. yeah. And 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 there's just such a difference in the reaction to it and the recognition of their role in what they did. Yeah. Um, so hmm. are, you, are you still pissed off?
2: Yeah, yeah, of course I'm still pissed <laughs> off. Glory to God. <laughs> Listen, glory to God would have been an awesome line had everybody been safe. Yeah. But when someone died, but you got to live, it's not glory to God. It's, wow. Why? Why does their family need to be in turmoil, mm-hmm. but mine, Hey, I get to live another day. Praise you, Jesus.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: It, it just, uh, I think it's hurtful.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. Support for, I doubt it with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Harry. Harry.
3: Harry is our latest Patreon supporter.
2: Thank you very much. That is awesome. Welcome to the to the Patreon family, like we like to say. Yes um listen uh we are like Brittany said we're going to be doing that contest in another for sure another couple maybe three months so Mm -hmm. you want to get out get on board help support the show help produce the show patreon's the way to do it you can also support the show through what what nothing oh uh you can also support the show through amazon dollamore.com slash amazon make a purchase there that would be fantastic Every little bit goes a long way towards supporting the show. And if you're going to spend your money anyway at Amazon, why not help support your favorite show filled with
3: news? News.
2: (laughs) And ridiculous, ridiculous comment. Uh, Catherine, you are the winner. Thank you again.
3: So much. We're very excited.
2: That is awesome. And uh, moving on again. facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So this morning on CNN,
3: mm.
2: Kellyanne Conway.
3: This was intense. It was.
2: It really went from zero to a million with no warning.
3: Yeah, it was very dramatic.
2: The, the phrase "huh" that escalated quickly really, really <laughs> rings a bell here. Yeah. Well, she was being interviewed by Dana Bash. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the interview, Dana Bash says, you know, hey, listen, I got one more question for you. What's going on with your husband? He's been tweeting a lot of negative stuff about Donald Trump. Yeah. What's the deal with that?
3: Yeah. And the reason (laughs) she asked the question is because it is something that people are talking about. His tweets get retweeted by news anchors because everyone is kind of wondering, wow, this is weird. Kellyanne Conway's husband is openly criticizing Donald Trump. Yes. And she's the counselor to the president. Yeah. She works very closely to the president while her husband is tweeting negative things about Donald Trump. And he's it's very a, strange. He's
2: not just some random, like, ambulance chaser attorney. He's a big deal in Washington. He's well-known yeah. in these Republican circles. Yeah. So he's not just, like, her random husband that no one really knows. Right.
7: We're almost out of time. I just want to ask you one question that a lot of people are asking me. Probably you, too. And that is... What is up with your husband's tweets? Your husband is a very well-respected lawyer, um, and he's been sending some tweets that have been critical of the administration. Um, just an example, in response to a tweet he saw saying, President Trump's aides are reluctant to speak for him because he contradicts them later. Your husband wrote, so true, it's absurd.
8: He writes a lot of things that are also supportive, and he writes a lot of things about corgis and Philadelphia Eagles and sports, too. Uh, but the fact is, uh, well, two things I'll say to you. Number one, that, again, that woman who lost the election, whose name I never see on TV anymore, is wrong. That women, I think she said white women, have to listen to their uh, the men in their life to... To form their own <laughs> political opinions, wrong again, lady uh, number two. It's fascinating to me that CNN would go there, but it's very good for the whole world to have just witnessed that it's now. Fa- excuse me, that it's now fair game. What people's, uh, how people's spouses and significant others may differ. With them, I'm really surprised, but very, I, in well, some ways, relieved and gratified to see that. That no, should really be fun. No, I, I actually, first of all, I would ask you that if you were a man
7: and no, your you wife to, oh, a you thousand percent, I no, would. No, 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 And it's not about that. It's standard. about, it's about, it's about questioning, publicly questioning what you are doing for a living in with regard to your boss, and it has nothing to do no, with your and gender. and it has nothing it to have, do
8: with my spouse. And, right, uh, that's over, what I'm just uh, asking. Oh, no, no, no. You just brought him, you just brought him into this. So this ought to be fun moving forward, Dana. Okay. We're Now going to talk about wow. other people's, people's spouses and significant others just because they either work in the White House or at CNN. Are we going to do that? Because you the, just no, you just went there. Yes. Yeah. CNN yes. just went there. Look, differences opinions <laughs> I'm not, by, this by, isn't, by the way, by, this by isn't definition. A, this isn't critical. I'm just asking oh, of about. Of course it was. It was meant to harass and embarrass, but let me just tell you something. Absolutely not. Let me just tell you something. By definition, Spouses have a difference of opinion I when adultery not agree is happening. More. By definition, spouses have a difference of opinion when one is, I don't know, draining the joint bank account to support things that maybe the other disagrees what? with. So this is a fascinating cross the Rubicon moment, and uh, and I'll leave it at
7: that. Okay. Well, that certainly was not intended to cross any Rubicon. It was actually intended to be... Um, somewhat lighthearted about the fact that we are all grown-ups who have different opinions but i'm sorry that, that you, took what you it said up. you said i've got to ask you a question that's yeah. on everybody's mind it is it is I'm, it is i'm sure you i'm sure you hear it too you it know. is and it is hard to have to have two uh adults in in a situation like this but it is unusual I'm sorry, for what does that mean? it is unusual I'm sorry, for, it's for, hard
8: for whom i'm sorry it back is, it up it, it is hard, hard for it is who? hard for okay. the two adults my uh, husband oh. and husband. my husband. now is you're that? talking about my marriage again
7: I'm not talking about your marriage. I'm Kellyanne, Kellyanne, here was my whole point. It's hard for him. Is that you are a professional working for the president of the United States. And your husband is a very well-respected lawyer. And my point is, is that we don't often see, in fact, I don't remember the last time we saw somebody working for the president in a high-profile position when their spouse is saying critical things about them. That
8: is all. Uh, that is all. Well, that a is not true. Um, there are other family members who of people who work at the White House who certainly don't uh, support the president privately and publicly. But I will tell you this, uh, and there are people who have been in his administration who you know, worked for Democrats or gave money to mm-hmm. Democrats. But all that aside, mm-hmm. that really is meant to divert attention from again the big issues that America cares about. But like I said, CNN chose to go there. I think that's going to be fascinating moving forward. And don't deny that when you just said it must be difficult. I do want you to clarify though for the whole worldwide audience and in fact for me since you raised me. Mm-hmm. It's quote difficult for whom to have two adults Well, my, my point only is that you difficult are for my two? children who no. are probably watching you right now because it's not hard for well, them I didn't say they've already me. seen a double standard for their mother for two years. It is not about gender. Network, I don't, don't want to have it. this conversation. But and you be know 12. that I don't believe no, no, that. It's I didn't about say gender. no, no, it's not about gender. Hold on. It's okay. not about gender. There's been a different standard for me than there have been for other people. And we bite our tongue plenty because I work for the people yeah. of this country, United States government, yeah. the presidency, and the President United States. So there's plenty that I don't say. There's plenty that I don't talk. Absolutely, I'll, I'll just I'll just give you. Say. I'll just give you just
7: because
3: you because be you went back here
8: because you went there. You were always invited back
7: here um, because you went there. I'll just give an example because you asked. Andrew McCabe, the president, went after Andrew McCabe for something that his wife did, ran as a Democrat, and that had nothing to do with the president. No, no no, so- no, no,
8: no. The president knew something early that everybody else is now finding out. The president has excellent instincts, and he knew. But he didn't Jim say that. And he talked K- about his wife. Uh, you don't know that he didn't say that. Uh. Yeah, he knew that Andrew McCabe <laughs> could not be trusted. And look what happened just this week. Andrew McCabe, it's admitted now that he lied four times, at least three under oath, Dana, Criminal referral just this week because he lied about leaking to the media. This is the number two at the FBI.
2: This- uh, anyway, and then they kind of go off the, the rails there on the McCabe thing. Mm-hmm. But what in the hell happened there?
3: Yeah, I think the part that really sticks out for me is the weird, like, threatening comment that Kellyanne Conway made. It was meant to harass
8: and embarrass, but let me just tell you something. Absolutely not. Let me just tell you something. By definition, spouses have a difference of opinion I when adults agree is happening. more. By definition, spouses have a difference of opinion when one is. I don't know, draining the joint bank account to support things that maybe the other disagrees with.
2: What cryptic bullshit is that?
3: And Dana talked over her there, so I don't know if you heard the first part, but she said, by definition, spouses have a difference of opinion when adultery is happening. Yes. And then went on to talk about joint bank accounts and one person joint, draining. Right. What is she talking about? And the weird thing is, is that Dana didn't say... What the hell are you talking about?
2: Was it about because Dana Bash's ex husband is John King, who's on CNN, right? The white haired guy. Yeah. Um, was that like a dig at Face to Face with Dana Bash? Or the problem is, is that no one's writing about this? Yes. It's the most cryptic, bizarre, goddamn thing of the interview. Right. And no one's writing about it. What does that particular moment mean?
3: Yeah, I have no idea. Because
2: that is threatening bullshit right there. Yes. This is going to be fun, she says.
3: I know. This is going to be fascinating
2: going forward. Escalating. Are you talking about my kids? Are you talking about my kids? Uh, No, you crazy freak. No one said (laughs) anything about your kids. Quit being a maniac and calm down. Dana Bash should have had the wherewithal to treat her... Like Jake Tapper treated Stephen Miller that time. Mm-hmm. Stephen, calm down. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: No, exactly. Because I I think she was probably caught off guard by her reaction um, yeah. a little bit. And trying to reassure her that she didn't mean to offend her. Um, but probably just trying to... Be too nice yeah, in the situation, for sure. But yeah, I mean this this is a relevant question, and we've had this conversation. Is this something that she should have been asked? And I mean, if if Kellyanne Conway wasn't who she is, then probably not. Right? It's not a big yeah. deal to ask someone about their spouse because what does it matter? They're not their spouse. They don't have the opinions that their spouse has. They're not responsible for what their spouse is tweeting. You know. Uh, but Kellyanne Conway is the counselor to the president. She is representing him on CNN. She's representing his positions, what he thinks on things. She's speaking on behalf of the president. (laughs) Right. While her husband, who is prominent on Twitter and elsewhere in his profession, is tweeting negative things about him. Yeah. In addition to corgis, apparently. Um, Well,
2: the other thing is is that Kellyanne Conway works for a dick, works for Donald Trump, who tweets things about Ted Cruz's wife. Yeah. Unflattering pictures of her. Right. Who 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 brings the mistresses and accusers of Bill Clinton to a debate with Hillary Clinton.
3: Right. He's
2: Chief among the guilty if this is a bad thing to do. Well, so
3: is Kellyanne Conway, though.
2: She did the same thing, attacking a- attacking Hillary Clinton based on Bill Clinton's uh, shitty behavior.
3: Right. She feels that she can do this because any kind of criticism that anyone from this administration makes of the media will be supported by that base. Yeah. And so they can go out and say, can you believe what she asked Kellyanne Conway? Look at fake news CNN, blah, blah, blah. And everyone will just eat it up.
2: Yeah, well, they'll act like, oh, yeah, that was way out of line. Uh, was
3: it? Yeah.
2: Because it didn't seem way out of line. It seemed pretty in line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So hopefully so. in the in the days g- coming forward, we will have some answers about exactly what the fuck she was talking about because that is uh
3: well I know is she gonna roll out some campaign against dana bash now
2: i I don't know
3: this is gonna be fun <laughs> what
2: she's a real ominous figure yeah
3: what are you talking about?
2: So the other thing that happened this week is the Comey memos were released by the Justice Department, by the FBI, at the behest of the Republicans in Congress. I don't know what they thought was going to happen, that they, they were going to reveal some awesome treasure trove of bad, damaging information uh, against James Comey. That's going to make Donald Trump look like he he's in a good light. Well, that is not what happened. In fact, one of the things that I don't think is getting enough press, it's getting some because the clip I'm getting ready to play is Anderson Cooper. But Donald Trump was emphatic with James Comey that he didn't even stay the night in Moscow in twenty thirteen. So there's no way he could have had the pee pee time with the hookers in, in, <laughs> in, in the in the, the Rich Carlton or whatever.
1: Mm. It's just impossible,
2: everybody. Yeah. So uh Ederson Cooper lays out here very well the facts that it he absolutely one hundred percent did. And that Donald Trump is no surprise—a sickening liar. Who now I'm editorializing. Likely, a little, uh, little, uh, little P tape. Allegedly. Oh yeah. Let me. Uh, do
3: you have an allegedly drop?
2: I do. Allegedly.
3: There we go. Allegedly. Mm.
6: Allegedly.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> so
2: let's. Uh, and then we get back to the board. See what you do. <laughs> you
3: try to make the show better, and then I look like an, an asshole. And then I throw everything off.
9: <laughs> More now on the newly released Comey memos. In two of the memos, President Trump pushes back on claims that he could have been compromised by Russian prostitutes, as alleged in the infamous Steele dossier when he visited Moscow for the Miss Universe pageant in November of 2013. According to Comey's notes, the topic came up during a private White House dinner just a week after President Trump was sworn into office. Comey writes that the president insisted the claim by Steele was a total fabrication Comey also says the president told him that he had, quote, spoken to people who had been on the Miss Universe trip with him, and they had reminded him that he didn't stay overnight in Russia for that. He said he arrived in the morning, did events, then showered and dressed for the pageant at the hotel, didn't say uh, the name of the hotel, and left for the pageant. Afterwards, he returned only to get his things because they departed for New York by plane that same night. Now, according to Comey, the president repeated that claim a little uh, more than a week later. Comey writes, he then explained, as he did at our dinner, that he hadn't stayed overnight in Russia during the Miss Universe trip. Keep it honest, there is evidence the president spent at least one night in Moscow. We found social media postings, other photos, and a video from different events in Moscow that prove it, actually. There's also testimony at Capitol Hill from Mr. Trump's former bodyguard that contradicts the president's claim. I just want to show you the timeline. Trump arrived in Moscow on November 8, 2013, according to a book written by journalists Michael Isikoff and David Korn about Trump's dealings in Russia. Here's a Facebook posting from that day that uh, that's uh, Mr. Trump at the Nobu Moscow Sushi Restaurant, posing with Russian-Azerbaijani pop star Emin, the, uh, the son of the pageant's host. It seems he did stay the night, because the very next day, Saturday, November 9th, Mr. Trump went on Twitter and wrote, I'm in Moscow for Miss Universe tonight. Picking a winner is very hard. They are all winners. Total sellout of arena. Big night in Russia. Less than an hour later, he added, I was just given a great tour of Moscow. Fantastic, hardworking people. city is really energized. The world will be watching tonight." It seems it was a busy Saturday for Mr. Trump, according to Bloomberg, that very same day he was back with the pop music star Emin, starring in a cameo role for one of his music videos. Take a look.
2: What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Emin? Emin, let's get with it.
1: You're always late. You're just another pretty face. I'm really tired of you. You're fired.
9: Well, later that day came the big event. The reason he was in Moscow, the Miss Universe pageant was held. (laughs) Here's the video uh, he took part in, uh, uh, took uh, at the after party. That's him with the newly crowned Miss Universe. Not clear whether Mr. Trump spent a second night in Moscow or flew home directly after the parties. But the next night, November 10th, Mr. Trump tweeted, I just got back from Russia, learned lots and lots. Moscow is a very interesting and amazing place. As for Mr. Trump's former and longtime bodyguard, how he plays into all this, last November, Keith Schiller testified before the House Intelligence Committee. According to Republican and Democratic sources with direct knowledge of the testimony, Schiller told lawmakers about guarding Trump's hotel room in Moscow for a few minutes before he turned in for the night. But he did so uh, to deny that Trump met with any prostitutes, saying that a Russian offer to send women up to the room was rejected earlier in the day, and that he and Mr. Trump laughed about it while walking back to his hotel room. The claims made by the president to Comey about not spending the night may may have no significance, could have been a mistake or even a meaningless lie, not, to, meant, not meant to hide anything, but the claim, it's clear, itself is false. Why would he lie? Let me tell you something. <laughs> Let me tell you this.
2: CNN isn't doing some crack job of research finding this out. If you don't think that Robert Mueller already knows and has a timeline of, of Donald Trump, even using his Twitter account as, as a verification, then you are sorely mistaken because Robert Mueller is doing his due diligence and taking care of biz related to this, but it really does beg the question: Why? Why lie? Why? Why be so emphatic that oh no, he's protesting a little too much?
3: Exactly. <laughs> I also think to your point about what Mueller already knows. That talking point of well, we haven't heard anything yet. We no one's coming out. If if we would if they know something, we would know by now. No. That's not how this works. That is
2: not how this works. And it's
3: so strange how everyone says that so confidently, like they understand how the world works. Relax. <laughs> they understand how the world works. Take the back seat. You don't yeah. get it. Okay? Yeah. That's not how things work. <laughs> right?
2: Yes, yes. It's
3: very frustrating.
2: So, uh, again, you know, more is going to come out of this this Comey memo. Mm-hmm. It really was. a. Mi- it's not a surprise because at every step, the Republican Party has proved themselves to be woefully just defunct in logic and understanding of strategy here because this backfired just like the stupid Republican House Intel memo memo did.
8: Mm -hmm.
2: It's just ridiculous. (laughs) So I guess that's a good segue moving on to the other ridiculous thing of the day. (laughs)
3: This is my favorite. This
2: is going to be the new theme song for evangelical Christianity and the stupidity that they practice on a daily damn basis.
3: Well, this clip is particularly terrifying because they're now using like threats um, to get people to stand by Donald Trump.
0: It's not that Donald Trump is all that perfect of a guy. We all know he's not. And we know that it's, he's not necessarily perfect in every way that we would like. That's not, that's not how God works. He works through the ones he chooses. Right. Mm. We don't choose them. No. All we have to do is recognize them. Yeah. And when you recognize <laughs> a chosen one mm-hmm. and you have the discernment to know that they've been yep. chosen and know, that that's the will of god then your life will be blessed yes. and if you come against the chosen one of god oh. okay mm. you are bringing upon you and your children and your children's children curses like you have never seen yes. it puts a holy fear in me oh yeah. you know and <laughs> they're we, picking
9: the flaws out mm. of this man that god has chosen mm-hmm.
0: right and you don't look for a perfect person we <laughs> look for the one God's chosen.
2: How scary is it that she is calling Donald Trump the chosen one?
3: Yeah, well, that's not surprising to me. This whole thing about the curses of people who criticize Donald Trump, they're taking things to new heights right. here.
2: Your, your children and their children <laughs> and you will be cursed if you question Donald Trump, the chosen one,
3: cursed for generations. If you criticize the chosen one,
2: well, th- there's other audio of her. Here, here is uh, earlier.
1: She's not a
3: Christian. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I clearly
2: that's not her. But that woman's that woman's name, by the way, is Mary Colbert, mm-hmm. and uh, that is alarmingly paranoid and weird. <laughs> that Donald Trump is the chosen one.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What
2: is this, the Matrix?
3: What is happening? Well, I, I think that she likely has um, just an amazing self-esteem because uh, do they follow her around during the day? And every time she speaks, they say, Mm-hmm. Mm, mm, mm Yeah. Mm, oh. mm, mm She's
0: not a Christian!
2: <laughs> All right. Uh, listen.
4: Uh, <laughs> what are you going to do, man?
2: These evangelical Christian, listen I, I when i shit on evangelicals I, it's not just randomly shitting on christians or or generally shitting on christians evangelical christianity is it's a white phenomenon almost exclusively it, it is prosper it is a bastardization of everything jesus taught everything jesus stood for they're they're prosperity freaks they are they are They're calling the winners and losers. Donald Trump is chosen by God. Uh, Jesus uh, reached down and put his hand on Donald Trump's head. Uh, But he summarily rejected Obama, who actually cared about social justice. He actually cared about the things that Jesus would have cared about.
3: Yeah, it's like they're the chosen one if they're the Republican.
2: Yes. Weird. I I wonder if there's a connection, Brittany.
3: (laughs) Oh, no, I'm I'm sure there's some segment we can dig up where she was doing the exact same thing about Barack Obama, President Obama. If you criticize President Obama, you will be cursed for generations to come. So will your children,
2: and so will their children. It's going to be real bad.
3: Taking care of biz. <music> Terry Crews. Terry Crews, the uh,
2: former—I think he was in the NFL.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He's the funny guy. He was in—he was in *Idiocracy*. Yeah. He was president. Macho Camacho or whatever.
3: Yeah, I think he's on Brooklyn Nine. Oh yeah, yeah. that's yeah, right. He's yeah. on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, so he came out during the Me Too movement and revealed that he had been um, sexually assaulted and
2: by a dude at an after party.
3: Yeah, and he has continued to kind of be. Um, a force, this very masculine, muscly man who can speak openly about his own experiences, but also he has started speaking about the problems within masculinity and how uh, it can impact women.
10: You know, People have to understand that masculinity can be a cult. And when I say cult, it's, it's no different than David Koresh. It's no different than Jim Jones. It's you are, you, it's funny because when you, you, you don't even hear, it, you know, the, the best way to ex, uh, example is slavery, is when slaves were, were, were yelling about, oh my God, I'm being beaten, I'm being hurt. The master would look at like, I don't understand what you're saying. You don't, you know, it, it, it's almost like there's this disconnect. Like they won't see pain. There's a lack of empathy. And this is what happens with men and women, men who are in this cult, you can say as a woman, they talk, but a guy is not looking at you as even all the way human. And this is what you have to understand. It's, there's a humanity issue here. You're like, why don't you hear me? Why don't you see my feelings? And they're like, but you're not all the way human. You're here for me. You're here for my deal. And this is, it's real. I, I got a perfect example. Now, first of all, I, I have to tell you, I am guilty. I i am guilty. I believe simply because I was a man that I was more valuable than my wife and the other women in my life. This is something that, you know, men have been sold a bill of goods for a long, long time. I, let me tell you, when I was in football, I remember the guy, one thing the guys would do is go to the strip club. And the guys go to the strip club and you sit there and here's the woman and the, the whole thing. And once she starts talking about She has kids or she if she starts talking about anything in her life, it's like, stop, stop, stop. Because you're because you're becoming a human before my eyes. I don't want you to be a human. I want you to be an object. I want you to be something pretty to look at. But as you talk, you're making things too real for me. So scary.
3: So I think that this is particularly profound, again, because it is coming from Terry Crews, Mm -hmm. uh, someone who is like a buff, masculine man, like what other men would consider. Right, right. Kind of the
2: standard for masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. And from
3: other men's perspective. Yes. And so to hear him speak on this, I think it would be influential for other men to hear it coming from him. I don't know. (laughs) Uh,
2: Listen, I'd love to hear more talk about how strip clubs are fucking creepy. Mm hmm. It's weird. Strip mm-hmm. clubs are weird and gross. Mm-hmm. Liberals are going to... Uh, they're going to freak out about that, but they're fucking weird and gross. That's gross. Well, anyway. well,
3: and I, I liked hearing him talk about that because he, he said that they were going there and they just wanted to see these women as objects and treat them as objects. And as soon as they... Started trying to paint themselves as anything other than an object. Yeah. There was no interest there, and so I think that is a good conversation for men to begin to have with other yeah. men. Yeah. Um. But I I just think it's it's powerful coming from him. But it. Re-
2: I think it demonstrates that it's it is difficult for women. Across all many different disciplines, not just exotic dancing, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean. In 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 the corporate world, in academia, it is it is a struggle that masculinity gets um, prioritized. Right, I think.
3: Yeah, and I actually came across this uh, tweet. It is a screenshot from a handbook for teacher assistants. Um, for the University of Maryland Department of Computer Science. And this is a screenshot from the handbook that they give to teaching assistants to basically give them advice about how to do their job.
2: They're going to fuck this up, aren't they? And there
3: is a section here for female (laughs) TAs, specifically. Okay? And this is what it says. Oh,
2: no! Your
3: students may experience some difficulty accepting you fully in a scientific field, which they may, for whatever reasons, associate with male activity. Male students especially, but not exclusively may try to challenge your authority, trip you up, or, more subtly, try to compromise your status by flippancy or suggestive remarks. Friendly, but firm and repeated assertion of your competence and authority to direct their study of computer science, asserted through deed and attitude, as well as through word, will probably take care of the situation. Such challenging behavior should fall off rapidly. That such assertion should even be necessary is admittedly annoying, but be patient.
2: Seriously, (laughs) making a million excuses for the dicks the male assholes who are going to be challenging this person who is in a position of authority.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But, oh, you got to be really nice to them. Mm-hmm. These fellas just don't get it. But if you be really sweet, because let me tell you something. They're not writing this to, to men, TAs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, mm-hmm. if your fellow bros, if they don't respect your authority, you better just be very respectful. Mm-hmm. You, just a gentle correction. Mm-hmm. You don't want to come across as bossy. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do that.
3: Yeah. Well,
2: they. Do- so maybe University of Maryland should be asshole of today.
3: They do have a message for male tas, and it involves uh, female students that may try to capitalize on the male female dynamic to their own advantage.
2: Are you fucking kidding
3: me? No. Most of these attempts are fairly transparent unless you are particularly susceptible to flirtatious or provocative behavior. Lest you be too flattered, it's very likely that it is the lure of your position, or even more callously, a grade that they're after, not you. (sighs) (laughs) It's like in an official document (laughs) that they give to people. It's truly, truly remarkable, is it not? Let
2: me... What are your guesses? Audience, you're included. What are your guesses? What are the chances that a woman <laughs> wrote that document? Mm-hmm. There's not a goddamn chance a lady wrote that. Mm-hmm. That is all dude all day long.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, uh, and, and that's
3: the thing. So they're teaching the women that they need to be patient, uh, because even though they're constantly having to prove that they're worthy, that they're educated, yeah. that they are an authority and,
2: figure. And and saying to a dude right. hey if someone's coming on to you she's just a skeevy little slime who's trying to get over on you
3: right so god damn yeah, so there's still obviously a lot of work to do in this area. <laughs> yeah, and I'm happy that Terry Crews is uh, continuing this conversation and engaging particularly with what it means to be masculine because right now the most prominent figures talking about masculinity are people like Jordan B. Peterson. Right. And I think that it's important to hear from people like Terry Crews who are approaching this in a nuanced way um, from the perspective of someone that has had exper- negative experiences Experiences with sexual assault yeah. um and being a very masculine figure that men uh yeah, you know respect just, or just, look up to just or like jordan
2: peterson super super masculine mm-hmm. with his fucking number two pencil arms Ugh. anyway let's end it there before i get in trouble thank you for joining us to help us move the conversation forward episode by episode we love you guys bringing us 400 episodes is is uh, beautiful God, it's it really we are very thankful we cannot thank you enough we love you we appreciate you if you'd like to sound off you want to help us move the conversation forward get your voice on the record um challenge us talk to us whatever six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine of course you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. we would love to have you follow us on the Twitter Brittany E. Page at Dollamore. Go rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. All of that helps the show very much. But most of all, we just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the family, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yes. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been. I doubt it. Less (laughs) assholey.